Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is a jewel of gothic art. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and yeah, man, look at me. I am probably the best example of gothic art in all of Paris right exactly. now, uh, which is why people keep misidentifying me as a jewel of gothic art. I, I love it. I love the I I. <laughs> Some there are certain elements of this movie that are just very that I I really, really touched a nerve with like touched a point with me where I was like oh that's yeah. very funny and then the idea of people just constantly wandering around the city like these people who live here just like constantly wandering around misidentifying everything is beautiful I just it's oh yeah very beautiful yeah. to me uh, when you live in a place with so much history and you've only ever half heard any of it right right uh it's really easy to do probably took a trip when you were like <laughs> an elementary school kid or something and then don't remember it. Before we get into our movie this week, I want to real quick talk about our Patreon. Over at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film over there every month. Our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch from a list I put together usually, but sometimes supporters get to suggest the list as well. I often use it as a way to make Pat watch a movie that I really love that I know he hasn't seen before. Uh which is fun. And sometimes I let Pat use it as a way to make me watch a movie that he really loves. Not as often, but it does happen occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Usually Star Wars. Well, or Uh, or, uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Or Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is a fantastic movie. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I'm glad it had the impact on Um, you that it had on me when I was like in third grade or whatever. Yeah, I might have to watch it again now that we're coming back around. It's it's a very good Uh, kid's spooky movie that's all a dollar a month we've we've watched a really great selection of movies there's 70 or more over there now uh so if you don't get enough of pat yeah i feel like i just desperately need more pat and adam yeah you can head over there and we greatly appreciate everyone who has supported us over there uh a little above that one dollar mark uh for folks who can afford it and Want to give Pat and I the excuse to give to our loved ones that this is a worthwhile endeavor that we're not just <laughs> losing right. money in. Uh, we love to we love to thank our five dollars supporters on air. So thank you so much to Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Andrew Cherit, our current five dollars supporters. Yes, thank a you. bit above that, we do something kind of special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note every month and mail that out to our $10 and above supporters. We also like to thank those supporters on air, so thank you so much to Patrick Yako, Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, Jason Westhaver, and Nina Bojnak, our current $10 supporters. I keep buying new things in order to make these postcards, so please enjoy them. Yeah, you've you've justified Pat investing in his art, uh, which I love. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's giving me a reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see those postcards without committing that $10 mark or bypass postcards, uh, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there, 
Thing it proves our store. It exists mostly as a way to showcase Pat's art to uh, to non Patreon supporters, yeah. uh, but they are for sale as postcards, as greeting cards, as uh, stickers. Uh, some of them as pins. One of them as a T-shirt. We actually just sold uh, not a T-shirt, but a postcard version of the art on the piece oh, on okay. the T-shirt of our uh, our long kiss goodnight from our holiday episode a couple of years ago. Uh, That's a fun one. Just sold someone. Someone anticipating using it as a Christmas card. I, I hope so. Think. I hope so. Uh, yeah. Very excited about that. But yeah, thanks to everybody who has purchased anything off of our Redbubble store. Thank you so much to everyone who supported us on Patreon, both now and in the past. And thank you for listening. Yes, thank you, everybody. Pat, this... Yes. Sorry. Uh, Pat, this week we are back to a Louis Mall film. Uh, Mall is someone we've loved in the past... And uh, with, with I, I say, some exceptions, probably. I think there's probably some Malays we've watched that we didn't, uh, didn't I, quite I'm trying with. to remember them. Like it, I, I remember uh, Au Revoir Le Font or whatever, however you're supposed to pronounce yes. it. I don't, I don't with this French very well, but like yeah. I lo- we loved that. Uh, I was kind of like yes. looking through his, Generally. his filmography, and I was like, I wonder, I'm trying to remember which yeah. one of these did we like and which ones we did not like. So ge- generally, we loved them. Um or while in France, we watched as a box set with two other films uh, that were all centered around World War II, um, Murmur of the Heart and Le Comme Lucien. Yeah, so and we Murmur did not like Le Comme was... Lucien. Is I did not particularly yeah. care for it. Yeah, Murmur of the Heart we also didn't and particularly didn't care for. Um, oh, yeah, I remember but Murmur of the Heart, I think. Of while in France, we loved, yeah. Um, Murmur of the Heart was the one where uh, there's some... Uh, Implied incestual, yeah, no, that... not even implied. Some outright incestual relationships between a young boy and his mother. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and that's a great way to turn Pat and I off from a film, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we've also seen Elevator to the Gallows, uh, The Lovers, and The Fire Within. And The Fire Within is interesting to me because I can't really remember much about it. I did not remember uh, we watched. But that. I looked up. <laughs> it's not one of the ones I even earmarked. I looked in my up head. our episode. Yeah, we watched it literally right after The Lovers. Uh, it's in a in a pair with The Lovers. Um, and The Fire Within, I looked up our episode, and it actually seems like we enjoyed it, but, but I don't really remember much of it. Um, that's one about uh, a failed writer, uh, or a writer who's decided to commit suicide, and he spends the day wandering the city, meeting all of his old friends. That sounds uh, vaguely And familiar. one of the things we... One of the things we liked about it is that uh, Male is mindful that those sorts of stories only work if the audience knows that the failed writer is a disdainful person and also all of his friends are disdainful people. <laughs> so, right, okay. Um, and then, of course, the last Male film we watched was My Dinner with Andre. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I love My Dinner yeah. with Andre. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, now it is Zazi Dons the Metro, and next week we will have another Malay with Black Moon, uh, both stories oh, about okay. young women. But Zazi first, it's an interesting movie, uh, both within the social context that exists and also Malay's career. So this is only his third movie, because Malay's first movie was Lovers. Well, uh, no, Elevators of the Gallows. Well, we there's a or, it, ele- yes. either way. Yes, it is his third film. They both came yeah, out in 1958. Way, yeah, 
And both Elevator to the Gallows and The Lovers were in black and white, so this is the first use of color. Um, it is, this is an adapta- adaptation of a popular novel from 1959, the year before. As a book, it is an absurdist tale that uh, author Raymond Quinu, he's really playing with language in the book and presenting uh, everything in a... A sort of new French is how it's sometimes described, but a very colloquial French at the very least. Lots of slang, lots of uh, neologisms, lots of messing with syntax and pronunciation. And we get some of that in the film. Yeah, I mean, some the film seems to, does, does seem to, I mean, like we get, you know, obviously we get like third hand, right? Because like, Right. We get the movie's version, but also translated into the best that the subtitle makers could come up with to like make it clear that they weren't just yeah. saying normal words. Um, yeah, the opening line, the opening word of this film is "holy stink" as one word. Uh, "Holy stink, what a fart!" is the entire sentence, right? And it is a fantastic opening to yeah, a movie. Yeah. I mean, I I really enjoyed people saying things like, "What was the one guy Charles get translated all the time as?" is, is was it like dog gambit or something like that instead of goddamn it or yes, whatever? Yeah, yes, just yeah. Dumb shit like yes, that. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And little, little dumb things like that a lot. Well, and actually. it's just, and it's obviously just uh, our, it is obviously our subtitlers just like doing their best to be like, okay, you need to understand that these people are not speaking standard textbook French, uh, basically. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there is probably something lost in the fact that we are not native French speakers oh, listening Definitely. to this. Uh, but Male, I suppose, understanding that and understanding that he is transferring the book into a different medium, uh, is trying to play in the same spirit with visual stuff, Mm-mm. too. Yeah, that interview he had uh, where so he talks f- about showing it to Charlie Chaplin was really interesting yeah. about that like the idea that like okay like words and and film are not the same thing right and so we need to convey the same sort right. of like fast sort of fast and loose the nature of existence message like playing with the language i i like this phrase about like playing with the language of film rather than playing with the language of yeah. language right 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 yeah and given its place in time that's really interesting because we're we get a joke in the movie about it being new wave. This isn't really a new wave movie, and Molly's not really a new wave right right uh director um but this is only a year after four hundred blows came out right right and like we've had we've had some cartoony deconstructions that we've gotten from the new wave uh Pierre Lafau is probably the most cartoony yes. of any of that we've watched. And that's five years after this. Right. Yeah, this does seem almost also, out of place a little bit in time. It feels like Scorsese fucked yeah. up and dropped the film in the wrong place or something. <laughs> right, 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 right. Fell out of the time machine. Um, and uh, there's a lot of this uh, you might sort of find parallels in things that happen in this movie to Jacques Tati's Playtime yeah, or Traffic. Yeah. And Playtime Playtime comes out seven years after this and right. Traffic 11 years after this. 
Uh, and that's not to say that any of those films are borrowing from Male here necessarily, so much as, at least with Tate, Tate particularly, they're commenting on the same things. Right. I mean, Tati's, in many ways, Tati's is, is more aggressively, like, focused on those things. You know what I mean? Just like, Male is yeah. more, is more, it's weird to say this, but Male is more playful about this than, um, than, than Tati. Yeah. In some like, ways. Yeah. In the sense that, like, Tati, while, while a comedy is fairly, I, I would call it almost aggressively against sort of modern sort of, changes to society whereas molly seems more like more resigned to them and more willing to just sort of like uh just play in yeah, i guess i will say that like i think that's fair hulo as a character is older than that so like to a certain extent there's a sort of i think there's a, some give and take on that in the sense that yeah. like yeah the, the comedy still does seem to owe itself a lot to your charlie chaplin's your hulos or you know your you know your tatis with like because you know absolutely the vaca- mr hulo's holiday is 1953 my uncle right. is 1958 these both happened before yeah. this so like the, the the playful sort of tramp type like i mean hulo's not a tramp but like that playful sort of like mr magoo-esque character is 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 yeah. already a staple in comedy and has been for a long time right Right, right, and certainly, certainly the uh, you know the interviewer talking about uh, Molly having shown this to Chaplin is recognizing that right, this yes, is absolutely yeah in those veins, and Hulo, yes, I mean Hulo operates right in the same the sort of like he goes to he goes to drive the car you know you're you but all that slapstick yeah. right it's all slapstick right like right you know. And Mon picks up, tries to drive a car, and Mon- picks up the steering wheel, and the steering wheel comes off the fucking car. That sort of dumb shit, <laughs> right. right? You know, right, right, yeah. And Mon Uncle is the first one, uh, and that's fifty eight, where Tati is particularly dealing with modernization. Right. Yes. Yeah. We go to the house and stuff. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And Hulo's holiday is is not necessarily no no Hulo's holiday is more about the modern state of France. No right? Hulo's holiday is more about just sort of like it's more just sort of a more gentle sort of maybe social commentary about like what the sort of vacationing middle class is up to sort of thing at the time. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Whereas by the time we get to something like traffic, which is, uh, principally about the automobilization of Europe, uh, and, uh, in much the same way as, as the scenes of traffic in this film are, uh, and playtime, which is, its own playtime's its own animal yeah. about modernization too and, and compartmentalization and the way uh one one thing that obviously makes me think about playtime is the the destruction of the restaurant at the end of this movie uh and yeah a, yeah yeah a restaurant that similarly gets destroyed uh or at least is also destroyed in playtime at least the doors uh but yeah so you know it's it is both of its time in ways, but prescient in other ways. And it's mm-hmm. interesting to get Male doing this because as much as we've loved Male over the He's years, he's not that kind of director as far as we, we've encountered. Yeah. yeah. Like, what I will say yeah. is, it, it, what I like in, in some ways, right? Yeah, you are kind of right that, like, it, it is in many ways, it sort of shows, as we've seen, like where the new wave is going to go, right? In the sense that, like, things are going to, yeah. as it tries to come to terms with, like, modern society starts getting a lot of times a little bit goofier and weirder um in my in my my opinion uh but yeah he, you know as you said molly is not a, a a new wave director 
I mean, the the greatest sim- sign of that being that like the 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 fence boards, the painted fence boards that they just plop up anywhere to hide whatever they don't want in the film. That they just carry yeah. around to every set and be like, all right, put that in front of that because <laughs> we don't want that yes. in the film. So, well, that's like the opposite, right? There's no cinema veritas in this at all. But at the right, same time, right, right. it's it's. Oh, go ahead. Well, it's fakey. I I love those because they seem to be like the the hostage taker's note version of a billboard. They're just like all cut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Nonsense. Yeah, it's like supposed to be just bits yeah, and pieces. And they exist of old everywhere yeah. in the background, in the in the foreground, wherever they need to be. Well, and what's um, interesting is because ta- because as it turns out, sort of almost seemingly on accident, because there was so much shit they wanted to cover up. Yeah, they're in nearly every scene. Yeah, they become a motif rather than just a like a cover, right? Uh, and and, and kind yeah. of exists as a sort of surrealist element in that they don't make any sense. Like they don't. There's no ma- reason why they would be there. What they have on them makes no sense. It's just, it's almost sort of visual, just nonsense, right? Right, right. Yeah, that is one of the uh, one of the remnants of the involvement of a guy named William Klein. Uh, and one of the, in, in what seems to be a joke, but maybe there's a context I'm missing. Uh, there is a bonus feature called The Story of French Cinema by Those Who Made It that has no other... Like yeah, yeah. No context yes. to what it is. And it is wholly an audio interview with William Klein about his involvement with this movie. Right, yeah, I did listen uh, to it. It's the yeah. only thing in English uh, <laughs> because William Klein is an American. And Klein had made some sort of art- artsy shorts, um, avant garde stuff while he's working in New York. And Molly, he had read Zazi and apparently was working on his own script for Zazi, according to him. Uh, when Molly reached out, after he had negotiated the rights because someone else owned them. Another producer owned them. Uh, so he had to, he had to get them from that guy before he could make his movie. Um, and he reached out to William Klein and asked Klein to co-direct the movie with him. And Klein having never shot a commercial film before anyway, uh, was just like, what do you mean co-direct? You can't co-direct a movie. Uh, (laughs) Uh, and this is obviously a, a later interview. So in it, Klein references, you know, you've got people like the Cohen brothers, but they're brothers. They're closer right. to one mind than than two strangers, uh, which is really what he and Male were. Um, so he talks about how he went to France and basically immediately realized that Male was the director of this film and he was whatever he was. Right. Yeah. So he gets credited as he gets credited as art director. Uh, but he talks about it's very limited of what uh, what he ends up, what of his ideas end up in the movie. Um, one thing that's his are those signs. Mm. Those signs are his. He also uh, impressed upon Male the use of only two lenses, and one being a telephoto lens, which is why in some scenes we get facial close-ups and they're sort of distorted. And uh, when we have people in the foreground, the backgrounds are the lines of sight don't necessarily make sense because the perspective is a little curved right, yeah, in yeah. because of the, the lens. Um, and another thing of his that ends up in the movie is that most of the interior spaces, uh, particularly the apartment, are lit by outdoor signage. 
uh, neon neon lights across the across the way, um, which is a little reminiscent of the end of Jean Delmin uh, or Jean Delmin, um, which is interesting because that's a that's a movie of a very different sort yeah, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, a real interesting thing Klein brings up is that as far as visual stylistics and the breaking down of uh, what film is, Molly was really insistent on using Hell's a Poppin as a as a uh, uh, inspiration. Well, it make it make you can see um, that. Like, well, okay, yeah. so it's important to bear in mind that it's not just him, right? Um, who's the was it Klein? Who was it? Somebody oh. talked about having worked on um, the cinema. Who was it? Had worked on. Uh, had done their graduation thesis or whatever on um, for Tex, Tex Avery. Oh, yeah, was it was it? either uh, oh. it was either Klein, and I think it was Klein. But the other person we hear talking about it uh, might have been Jean Paul Repinu, who was the screenwriter. Yes, I think so. Um, I think I think I it was who, I think it was Repinu. Yeah, but like yeah. the idea that like this in some ways owes a lot to like fucking American cartoons of the 19 yeah 19, american cartoons and stuff yeah yeah now hell's a poppin uh isn't in the criterion collection we did it for a bonus right. episode a few years ago so you and i have seen it but it's not something that anyone listening to this as as criterion co- completionist i guess uh it would necessarily should be, be in the criterion collection but it's <laughs> it really should be it is it is a fantastic american uh 1940s yeah 1941 believe, 40s, apparently according correctly. to the uh yeah this the yeah uh just absolute fourth wall breaking and it's based on and klein talks about it in terms of it being a stage show it is based on a stage show but i feel what's going on and any reason that uh male would be wanting to use it as inspiration is the film version even though klein does not name the film version as the inspiration directly um, but yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic piece. Definitely does more of playing with film than this movie does. Well, yeah, for sure. I for mean, sure. Particularly this, particularly the scene where they grab the uh, edges of the film strip uh, to fix it uh, mid movie. Yes, yeah, uh, it's very well. Yeah, very it, fun. It, but but you get uh, you get the influence in the like in this movie you get the influence of your Hell's a Pop and you get your influence. So like yeah, yeah, Tex Avery cartoons would be like the 1940s sorry late oh, 30s yeah, early 40s so like these are all things that like in theory somebody like Molly or these guys would have been sort of encountering oh, yeah, in their absolutely. like early they would not be very old when right. they encounter that they'd be in like they're 12 13 years old and it's like oh this like right. drills Molly. a hole through your brain and fills it in with new stuff yeah yeah Molly's 27 when this film right being exactly made. so like if he encountered them when they first came to France, it's any time from like the age of ten to fifteen, really. Yeah, assuming uh, maybe they don't, maybe yeah. he doesn't encounter them until after the war, so maybe he encounters them like via yeah. GIs and like in immediately post war. But yeah. then he's still only like what like sixteen, seventeen years old, maybe eighteen years old or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. You know, he's still yeah, still pretty young. Uh, yeah. The other thing Klein brings up is that for everything Malay wanted to do cartoonishy wise how be it hell is a pop in her text avery uh klein says that molly was too french intellectual film director to pull any of that stuff off <laughs> he just didn't have like didn't have the comic 
mentality right. is how uh, how Klein f- phrases it. Um, well, so, and if well, go ahead. that part's true, yeah. If that's part's true, he certainly surrounded himself with people who did because the I think this movie does. Successfully well, so what I would those. I would say is I wonder if it's sort of if you are sort of getting into a value judgment of like it should have been more of that, but this is like the restrained version yeah. of it to a certain extent, right? But it right. is jam-packed with cartoon gags. Like, it's just fucking full of them, right? Like, Absolutely. the phones co- phones are exploding. Shit's have People are driving around backwards and shit. <laughs> yes. Like, this, yeah. constantly messing with film speed to, like, make people go faster or slower. It, it, it's, it is very yeah. comic in that sense. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing I was really impressed with uh, that they pull off is that that messing of film speed uh, within a single cut. Yeah. Right. Of, uh, yeah. Of, of characters, uh, changing speed, uh, relative to background characters, uh, b- to stay, to sort of keep up with the frame rate of the movie as things in the background get faster. Yeah. Or uh, really fascinating right. because like, yeah, you essentially see it with Zazie. She's got to like, there's a, especially the time that really caught me was, when she's supposed to look melancholy in the city center towards the evening time, and she like uh-huh. slowly lays her head down the roof of that car while everybody behind her is going a million miles an hour, can you imagine how slowly yeah. she had to do that? You can you <laughs> yeah, can see it right like it's it's you like when you're watching yeah. you're like oh I know what you did here, and like yeah. that's why it's a little herky jerky. It's not very. It's just slightly. You can you can right, detect right. it. But it's like no, it doesn't ruin anything. It doesn't ruin the effect where she very slow. That that poor girl probably had to do that in like I can't even imagine how slow motion she had to right, do right. that action to make it to make it work. Um, yeah, yeah. It's there's a lot of very silly stuff. Now, obviously, the main Tex Avery thing is also that that extended chase sequence of uh, of a child molester. Uh, running after yeah, Zazie. Yeah, that, that, the tracks uh, with like... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that's actually an interesting change from the book. Is that in the book, Zazie is a little bit older. She's into her teens. She's post-pubescent in the book. Well, so I was confused about that because and... when they when, when they in- interviewed... Um, what's his name? Kakanu or whatever his name is. Um. Uh-huh. I was unclear. It's like when he was describing it, I couldn't tell if he meant that originally when he started writing the book, she was 15 and he made her younger or if in the book she yeah. was 15 and in the movie she's younger. In the book, she is 15. Okay. Uh, in the book, when uh, when her mom drops her off, for instance, she tells Gabriel uh to watch over her so that she isn't raped by the whole family. To which Zazie jokes back, last time you arrived just in time, remember? Uh, there are... Well, Zazie is still not... sexual, I suppose, by her own accord. Uh, there is much more about her being on the brink of sexuality. Right, right. Guess, as as, as basically every book. fucking French book on earth is, <laughs> seemingly. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So so it's actually maybe kind of interesting that Molly drops that 
Because Molly is not. Molly does not seem to be shy about doing that thing, like talking about yeah, that in film uh, at all. Pretty Baby is a movie about a child prostitute, and that's that's a Molly film yeah. too. Um, you know, at least at least later in his career, he is not shy about doing those sorts of things. But it's something he wholly extra excises, or at least mostly excises. Um, well, but, by making her younger, right? And go ahead. Sorry, I, I had a thought of that, that, but yeah, yeah. And and making the child molester more outright evil. I mean, certainly in Ken, uh, I want to say quinoa now, but in Canoe's uh, Canoe's book, um, he's still a bad guy. And, like, everything about that character and the fact that he is four different people over the course of the story is from the book. All right. Uh, it's not just them making a, a choice to have the same actor play them. It is meant to be the same person in different identities through the course of the, the story. Uh, so it's not like it makes him more comedic or more menacing to have Zazie be younger. It doesn't really change the story much at all because it's my understanding that within the book, it's you know she she's still having similar interactions with him right like, i mean i get i think probably his making uh zazie younger is more in line with what he sort of describes as his goals of the film in like the interview and stuff which is like pointing out the absurdities of adult life through the eyes of a child mm-hmm. and like yeah. the more childish you make the person the the sort of easier right. that that is right like a, a 15 or 16 year old girl especially one who is like in a movie, right, like is gonna not come off necessarily as a child for the audience, especially right. like a French audience. It's just not, I, you know, what I mean, you run the risk that they're not gonna, you run the risk that the audience themselves will sexualize her rather than making yeah. her like a child. You no, know, that's. It's interesting you mention that because at after our recording last episode, I was I was talking to you a little bit about this movie, and I had run across a piece of information that uh, that made me, it gave me pause. And that is that uh, our actress here, um, Catherine DeMaggio, uh, the young girl, uh, was at one point, post, post the release of Stanley Kubrick's Lolita, uh, Vladimir Nabokov, the author of Lolita, said that he thought that Demago would have been a better choice to play Lolita than Sue Leon was. And and we both took pause at that because I think there's a lot of baggage built up in Lolita. But I think something I was thinking about after we talked about it is that in Nabokov's book, uh, the main character, uh, the, the guy who's after Lolita, uh, Humbert Humbert, or whatever his name is. Yeah, I've never actually seen um, him, but yeah, yeah. Well, in the book, Humbert Humbert is very much a sick man and is condemned in the con. In the well, I mean, yeah, I mean, apparently, like just like flipping through the the, the Wikipedia for the movie, the, yeah. in the book she is twelve years old. Yes, which what what yeah. and so in in that sense, like you and I had a lot of pause, but like if you're yeah. if your goal is to portray the you know you kind of understand where that that idea process comes yeah. from, right? Right. Right. I think I think that Lolita, one of the reasons Lolita doesn't work in every filmed version of Lolita is that the child is sexualized 
by the makers of the right, movie. right, and then suddenly now the whole uh, tone of the thing changes, right? Yeah, right, right. Lolita is meant to be a child, and as such, uh, I think Nabokov saying that isn't him sexualizing. No, it's more uh, like it, it's probably actually like more here. true to it's him my, saying my my book. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> yeah. It is a failure of Kubrick's version that he used a 16-year-old. Right. Well, and that's the thing. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because if you're talking about, if you want your, you know, to certain things, he's writing this book or whatever, and you you want your audience to be like, no, this person is fucked up, dude. Like, yeah. 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 You you Absolutely. you have to highlight that, and you can't, making it, you know, American audiences are perfectly comfortable sexualizing 16-year-olds. Let's be very clear here. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so using, I mean, I can't imagine that in the interviewing two years between when this movie was made and when Stanley Kubrick's version of Lolita came out, uh, I also can't imagine that Napokov was thinking about what she would have been like at 12 instead of picturing Zazie when he talked to her, right, right. when he referenced her being the right choice. Uh, this definitely seems like Nabokov saying, Yo dog, yo dog, you're fucking up my movie. Because, you're fucking up because, my story. <laughs> because people would have, people would have realized been, been unco- that he's the bad been guy. Deeply, deeply uncomfortable uh, with yeah. the ideas of like the right. ideas in the film, right? Which is kind of the goal, right? Right, right, right. Which is the goal of the book and the movie, or or should be the goal of the movie. I don't. Know. I've never I don't seen want to movie, swing for so Kubrick particularly. There's a lot of versions of Lolita. All of them seem to make similar mistakes. I base this not on having an intimate knowledge of every adaptation of Lolita. How many fucking adaptations on... of I just I typed it into Google, which will fuck up my search history. How many fucking I think, odd, how many versions of this fucking movie exist? At least at least two big ones. Uh and possibly more. Um but uh most of my information on that and thing and on the Navakov book, because I haven't read that either. Uh actually comes from a really fantastic podcast by uh, Jamie Loftus that she did a couple years ago, um, just called the Lolita podcast uh, in which she breaks down uh, and gets into the books, the adaptations, the culture around them. uh, And it's, it's highly recommended. Uh, Yeah. And misunderstandings around them. You know, she, she comes to, Defend it to a to a level because Nabokov does present Humbert as someone who should be condemned, and that is something that is often lost in popular understanding right, right. of the story, where where Lolita is come to be de- condemned in the proper um, in the popular understanding of the story, and that's not Lolita's a child. Um, right. So anyway, enough about Lolita. Uh, except how it how it interacts here is obviously we are also dealing with a child who is sexualized by one character, right? In the movie. But uh, but uh, the, the entire audience is meant to is understand. Yes, it's very right. much meant to understand. This guy is a fucking creep. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, who eventually is cured of his pedophilia by falling in love with someone else's wife? Well, that's a no. So that's the thing. I said, no, he's not right because in the speech, in like, um, I forget where he does it. Maybe it's in the dressing oh, yeah. room. Yeah, he just talks about how fickle he is and how like it's first. Yeah, it's, first too. it's first it's Zazie. Then it's uh, I forget the name of the. Um, I I can't remember how to pronounce the name of. Uh, 
Gabriel's wife, Z- I am. Uh, what? How do you pronounce that name? Albertine. That, that's, <laughs> but I don't think I'm pronouncing Albertine, it correct. Yeah. I don't think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Anyway, no, Albert Albertine's probably right. Uh, I think because that sounds like a, a bad British food. Uh, frankly, um, <laughs> it, it does a little bit, but so, I think it's the proper name. But is. you know, falls in love with Albertine, and then now and he's like, well, now I guess it's the the widow, and then whatever her name was. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, I forget her name because that's she's actually, actually something... not on the cast list for some reason, as far as I can tell. Oh yeah, uh, no, uh, Madame Madame Moak is okay. Uh, is her, I believe. And, and, and uh, it's more that yeah. like he's just a, he's he's both a pedophile and a general all around creep. You know, at yeah, both yeah. both at the same time. Uh, a sex pest, no matter what the age of the woman is. Yeah, seemingly uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, that's actually another interesting change is that the uh, his attempt to seduce Albert, Albertine uh, in the novel apparently takes place in the apartment. Okay, not in well, he tries it. In Gabriel, he tries it everywhere, room. right? He does. Of it, course, he, he does, does it. The apartment, tried in the apartment too. He he pulls a yeah. very Bugs Bunny ass scene where he, cha- he oh yeah he kidnaps her he... friend and and dresses <laughs> yes, in her clothes. I forgot about that bit. Yes, it does happen, and she and she throws him out the window in that. And then she just sort of calmly walks away in the uh, in the other scene uh, in the dressing room um, and just denies him. Well, it, whereas uh, go ahead, I have seen I have seen the interaction in the book characterized as her fleeing uh, in terror, whereas here she just very calmly sidesteps well, it and takes care of it. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting. Like I think you know, again, we get I, obviously this is not a necessarily faithful to the to the book. Um, translation yeah. of the of the material it, it's interesting because it's more seems to be a goal to like let albertine exist as a sort of almost like mythical creature that like doesn't is not not impacted by the world it, it even the way she's filmed yeah. she's filmed in a way where like i don't know exactly what they're doing i think maybe it's maybe it's um rear projection but like she's because they do that with um, Zazie as well sometimes, but like Albertine doesn't move. Like her, she's entirely she seems appears to float at all times. Um, yes, yes. Some of that's just really careful walking on the part of the actress, but like some of that is also some camera tricks to make it so that she the camera is stabilized versus her rather than right. independent of her. Um, yeah, her her face is always stable in the middle of the frame yeah. every time she walks down a hallway or through the street. Or even when yeah. she's riding a bike. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, or, or riding her oh, motor yes, scooter. Yes, yes. And, and and it gives her an ethereal quality that, like, I think to a certain extent maybe isn't necessarily present in the book uh, or not to the same extent yeah. um, where she's sort of tranquil in a sea of people being insane. Yeah. And, and having her flee him would, I think, maybe to a certain extent... Um, ruin that that right. element of it right oh. yeah whereas just leaving leaving him each time or getting rid of him elsewise is uh it works uh yeah um, it's just keep thinking about that chasing with zazi and and him and how it really is just every tex avery joke there is oh it right? absolutely is. it is, is just twice. fucking jam-packed with like cartoon <laughs> Yeah, tropes and and I it's, love that it, dumb shit. Like I think it's really fun, especially yeah. to see it in a in a live action movie is actually pretty fun to to experience. You're like, oh, you're just doing yeah. cartoon. Like, welcome to cartoon. Yeah. Right, right, and it's and it's fun here. 
uh, as it's fun whenever it shows up. It's fun in Pierre Lafeu. It's fun in, in Tati stuff. Uh, I've uh, very rarely described a movie as a live action cartoon that I didn't enjoy. In fact, our, our, uh, official favorite movie of the podcast, Hudson Hawk is also yeah, is a live action derided cartoon. as a live, yeah. a live action cartoon. Uh, and it is a live action cartoon and I love those aspects of it. Um, yeah, well, mostly there is one aspect of, of it being cartoonish that is maybe not great, but, right. uh, but anyway, uh, but yeah, yeah, the the camera gag is just a very class button, classic Bug Bunny gag, where she's just suddenly got a camera, so he stops to pose for his right. Picture. Oh yeah, I mean like um, that whole except Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny, there would have been a shotgun in that in that right. Camera, yeah, that's but... the one thing he sort of shies away from, and and to a certain extent, you got to wonder if that's you know what your I guess it was um, William Klein is talking about. There there are certain things he sort of shied away from going full cartoon, right? Like the guy, yeah, that's the, fair. for example. The phone blows up in his hand, but doesn't blow him up. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. we, we kind and, of like break with the idea like we where where it's where it sort of shies away from cartoons seems to be the notion that like all the characters are are divorced from time and can like get blown up in one scene and the next scene be there. Um Yeah. It it but nonetheless, it is very extremely cartoony, and and I do like that. I like the chase scene. I think the chase scene now that that long arcade is quite is quite amusing. With like different oh, yeah. people are being like it's like you've got the uh, the mannequin, and then suddenly it's him, and it's like oh, this is just very goofy cartoon shit. Uh, yeah. Her throwing the jeans the over his the head she- and then being there to catch them and stuff. It's all very yes. good. Yeah, yeah. Her her instantly traveling to the other side of the the film world uh happens frequently yeah right happens in conversation in the apartment with her uncle at the dinner table um well and it gives her a, it she, give, like for like i don't know what the term but like it gives her a sort of mythic her own kind of mythical sort of the way that cartoons sort of exist in that same way of like sort of like the sort of the nymph as a sort of a concept in Greek mythology, or, so, or something that something that is sort of a prankster, or like a a, a pixie, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Something that can like it's here and then it's there, and like it's not really bound by the rules of the world as we understand it. Uh, sort of applies to Zazie as a character. She is just where she needs to be at any given moment to make whatever thing is going to happen happen. The climactic bar fight where she falls asleep and the whole bar is dismantled around her. Right. Uh, down to it being a film set. Uh, there's a lot of commentators, uh, including the essayist. Um, I believe including the essayist for the criterion. Um, the essay, by the way, by uh, uh, Jeanette Vincent Du, um, who, who say that that is obviously a breaking of the fourth wall, but that the film uh, presages that we, we already know that this is a film within the film universe because the restaurant under their apartment is a film set. And I don't know that I agree with that. I... Uh, obviously, that the argument is that that bar is being redressed every time we see it. That That is true. That, that uh, part is true. And I think that's true, but I just assumed it was a joke about it being constantly being remodeled. 
Me too. I uh, didn't, I didn't like, read that as film yeah. set because we yeah. don't. I didn't notice when it was being constantly remodeled. I didn't notice it like going down to what like the the sort of bare timbers right. that there's, I that I mentally associate with being a like for me yeah, to register it no. as a film set. I need to be able to see through to like a, yeah. a studio. You know what I mean? Like if you're gonna tell so, me, oh, that's a yeah. film set. When they take the wall panel down, I need to see fucking crew on the other side walking around. Right, or I'm right, not going right. to read that as which a film Which is what set. happens. Right, which is what happens What later, happens yes. at the bar fight, right? Um, so, yes, it is presaging it in that it is, a, it is foreshadowing to something bigger that is happening later. But it's not, it's not a time where the fourth wall is broken. It's just a different joke about uh, bars being remodeled. Um, yeah, I just which, mentally registered it as like... Yeah, you know, uh, sort of a commentary on the way that like these kinds of shops work in the city, especially in times of like sort yeah. of economic sort of uncertainty or something like that. Where it's like, oh yeah, this shop has been nine different things in the last fucking like two yeah. days. Right, and even if it's the same owner, it's constantly reinventing itself. You know, that's very that's that's the joke I thought. Yeah, was me being too. Made. Me too. But maybe maybe she's I was got it like <laughs> like as in like her trying to keep up with the fashion, like a la mode for yeah for for right. France uh, for Paris at that time requires her to literally remodel it every day. Right, as right. a joke. Yeah, yeah me that's, too. That's definitely how I understood it, and that's uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just my background in food services. Why? But no, you I read it. Too, I read so. it exactly the same way. I read it yeah. as. Yeah. As a joke about like, boy, you can't even keep the bar the same fucking color for two days without people claiming you're out of fashion. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, still very funny that that's constantly happening, particularly with the phone and how 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 as soon as the phone explodes, there's a worker there to put down. Yeah, the yeah. Phone. Uh, but I again did not understand those workers to be film crew. I, and I don't know, I you know, it's, it's just, yeah. I would argue that it's just as possible f- that you and me are right and <laughs> film commentators yeah. are yeah. wrong. Maybe we're, yeah, it, I could go either way. Um, it, it's really fun that pretty every time we see a crowd, no matter who the crowd is, be it the waiters, be it the people on the street, be it the people on the tour bus, it is always the same people. Yes, and and like they talk from... about that, and I think the way they talk, it was like, well, yeah. it was also just very economic to just have the same of course. Like, 12 people just over and over and over again. But it also creates, yeah. it, it kind of makes the people as thematically important as the um, as those fences and stuff, right? It's like, oh, no, these are just, right. everybody's just the same thing over and over and over again, just in different costumes in different places. Um, right, right. And often in the same costume. Yeah, it's, it's places, more often right? than not just the same costume, yes. Yeah. Because when they're, they're the crowd at the train station, they're the crowd accosting Zazie about st- when when the pedophile throws off suspicion on himself by claiming she stole the jeans from him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, until... You know, they do show up sort of in different aspects, but... Obviously, the biggest change is when they're all the waiters as well at the at the uh, bar at the end. Uh, but yeah, it's obviously it's very film from a behind the scenes. It is cheap. To, yeah, to yeah. Have everybody be there. Well, and they, but, and, they yeah. and they and they and they when they talked about it, they were like, "Well, you know, it is a combination of both it being very cheap and also yeah. like would be a fun thing to do in the movie to like." Right. Not constantly have new selection of extras, but just essentially make the extras part of the film also. Um, yeah, but also I think it's a really great joke on 
on the cartoon uh, status of this movie is that background characters are just rehewn versions of the same character. Oh model yeah, over yeah. And over it's again. like well, we'll recycle whatever right. we we'll recycle. Well, and with with in many ways the same impetus being that like this is the cheapest way to do this is to like right. just use the Absolutely. same four character models over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, it's I think it's it's a lot of fun. It works really well, and I you start of you start they become. By the end of the movie, they become familiar, like old faces. Where you're like, okay, this is a person that, like, right, like, you know what I mean? I don't. They become a, a functional part of the movie. Where you're like, I like seeing these people again and again and again. It makes me happy right. when I see them again. So basically, uh, uh, what we're talking about here is that Molly invented the phenomenon of the like, um, the the reference film where. He, where people are just human beings are just happy to recognize faces on some sort of weird core biological level. We're like, hey, I know that face. I know who that person yeah. is. That makes me happy. I guess, except that you have that. You you somehow managed to overcome that by by actually recognizing nope. that they're the same people. Hair colors. <laughs> ah, there you go. Hair colors go. and clothes, man. Color Hair color and clothes. Uh, I did. It took me a very it, long time to realize that the pedophile and the police were the same man. He does lose the mustache. Yeah, and it yeah. fucked me. I was like, uh, and then from context, I figured out, like, oh, this is the same person. Actually, speaking of mustaches, there's something that if it's a joke or a reference, I don't get. Oh, with the car- with the cobbler next door? Or no, is it something else? Yeah, with the cobbler. And his big fucking yeah, fake mustache. Where, well, he's got the big fake mustache and the, and the, and the wig. Uh, but in conversation with the pedophile, uh, the pedophile is saying he can't remember his own name um, since he's encountered Albertine. Um, he doesn't contextualize it as that, but that's sort of what happens. Albertine throws him out the window and he can't remember his name anymore or something. Um, Actually, at that point, it's not, it's not Albertine. It is uh, Gabriel throws him out the window the first time. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, um, but uh, but he's fallen in love with Albertine. He's forgotten who he is and it's part of his what he talks about later being so confused about who he's in love with now or whatever <laughs> this child or this adult woman um or the actual available adult woman who likes him uh who could say who he should pursue um but uh, but yeah anyway he's talking to the cobbler and he asks the cobbler uh what what the cobbler's name is uh and the cobbler says grudeau which is his name obviously uh in the moment that the cobbler says Grudeau, we cut to the cobbler's face. And it is a black actor in the same Yeah, I don't know. I was wondering makeup. about that. I didn't understand what that... I did see that. It was like... It was black... Well, was it a black actor or was it blackface? I couldn't... It happened so quickly. It was an... I, I paused it okay. to, to double check if I could, it was the I same couldn't, actor I couldn't catch it. And I, I was like, I'm not going to try to go back. I believe like, he was... Yes. I believe he went. It took me a while to pause. The Criterion right at that Channel too, because um, the whole thing's half a second. Yeah, and the Criterion yeah, Channel's pause website is not. is not the best video player yeah. on earth. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I did get it to stop right on his face, and in my eye, it is someone replacing him. A, a completely I different human being. Wonder what that joke is. Is there a fam- is yeah, there no maybe idea. a famous black actor or something named Grudeau or something to that effect? I is I don't know. Like I mean, it could just is be a, it could just be like a like a just like a simple like 
play on words where it sounds enough like some other the name of some other actor or 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 some famous person, right? There is apparently a famous French stage and film actor who had died in 1952 named Gredo, uh, but he is of Romani- Romanian descent. I want, uh, it, but it's got to be a, it's got to be a joke that we just don't get it because it, it, it you wouldn't do it otherwise. There's not. Hmm. He's in. Uh, that Grido is in Pepe Lamoco as one of the uh, one of the bad guys. Yeah, but that playing. that joke wouldn't make so any has, sense anyway. He right? has, no, no. Uh, well, it it I can't remember if certainly they weren't in blackface in Pepe Lamoco, but they might have been in brownface in Pepe Lamoco, and I just don't remember um, as the as the Moroccans. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, it, it's definitely but meant to this be a was joke. not. Yeah. Nonetheless, it stands that this was not someone in blackface. That's what this I, was not I just someone yeah, made I have up it. to look like Lucas Grudeau if Lucas Degro was the reference being made. This is just a black actor in wearing the, uh, in the, wear the same wearing costume. the mustache and hair of of the other Grudeau. Yeah. yeah, I who knows? It's yeah. it, it's a one of those. I I suspect, having watched this movie, that it is probably jam-packed with those kind of references that we're not getting, right? Because there's a lot of wordplay jokes and stuff that happen where I'm just like, I don't know, whatever. Where the yeah. movie's clearly winking yeah. at you, like, you can tell. Like, the movie, hey, you know, is looking at you and going, hey, did you get that joke? And I'm like, no, I didn't, actually. No, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm not. I'm mostly here I'm for the... I'm not French in 1960. Yeah, I'm mostly here for the, uh, yeah. for the fucking Looney Tunes shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Klein... Klein compares the author, uh, Quinu, to, uh, he calls him an experimenter and calls him the French James Joyce. And to the amount of experimentation that Zazie is doing, he's James Joyce in Dubliners. Uh, it's very, or not Dubliners, uh, Finnegan's Wake, um, where, where the language is falling apart as, as he's doing the stream of conscious stuff. Like he's making up new words. It's just all, all very silly, uh, almost nonsense. Um, but like like the works of James Joyce, we really need like an annotated version of Zazie. To yeah, like yeah. I mean, know exactly what the joke is supposed there to wasn't be even at a any comment, given. Moment. There wasn't even a commentary, like a commentary track. And then, and then, being yeah. totally honest, like they would not get the right commentary track anyway. What you you need, yes, is oh, like footnotes, right? No. You don't. What I don't need is like somebody talking about each scene in a sort of like tech, technical right. way. Like that would also be cool. I would love a technical breakdown of like a lot of these dumb fucking sight gags and stuff. But I would also, yeah, just like, uh, like VH. You know what we need is like VH1's uh, <laughs> pop up yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, the pop up yeah. videos from VH1. Is like just pop up like yeah. this is a reference to da 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 da. It's like okay, thank I you. Do you remember? Remember, you weren't a huge fan of this movie, but uh, the Milky Way, the the Buñuel yes, yes, yeah, movie yeah, we yeah, yeah, where. Where they talked about how at the premiere they handed out like yeah an a flyer sheet. yeah to explain all the fucking religious <laughs> yeah. shit yeah uh, yeah yes yeah. I I I thought you know this would probably benefit from something like it, it, like luckily it's got enough the Looney Tunes stuff sustains it because presumably even to a French audience now in fucking you know 2023 those jokes are somewhat impenetrable too right like. Right, right, like you're, right. you're far enough be, time certainly. has passed that like for some percentage of those make no goddamn sense anymore, and we're we're past yeah. them, um, and so that you know it, it's good. No, I mean it does hold up without 
understanding those things, right? Oh, certainly. Um, and well, there's enough. There's enough that's references that we do get, right? Right. Yeah. We still, like the whole all the Tex Avery stuff is stuff we understand. well, and, the, and the, they have, the, they have a little bit more like long lasting cultural penetration, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows what right. like cartoons look like, basically. Yeah. And there's other there's other non sequitur stuff that's just funny in its own yeah. right, even if it isn't is a reference to something that we don't else. get. Like yeah. the the ships, the ship's captain at the top of the. Uh, Eiffel Tower. It's just a silly thing. Yeah, it's just a, it's uh, just a dumb I, joke. I, it's just like, hey, yeah, does yeah. you know the top of this thing kind of looks like a like a uh, like a I forgot yeah, that's like called. a lighthouse or something. Yeah, or even like a yeah but, the yeah. deck of a ship. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah, and so you know, they, yes, exactly. There's a lot of that kind of stuff, and that and that is not necessarily Looney Tunes s, but it is it is very sight gaggy and, yeah. and works very well. Right. Um, I like. Yeah. They, I they mean, asked. That's... They interviewed the cinematographer, and I think it was the cinematographer, right, or somebody, complaining about uh, all this shit that they couldn't do now. <laughs> like at the Eiffel Tower, uh, uh, who was that guy? I forget who. The Paris de Zazi, uh was uh, Philippe Collin, um, who was the assistant director. Okay. Not all right. So Rappenau it was a. It was a. Right. It was a. Um, yes. Assistant director. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Because they yeah, even I make forgot. reference to I AD that at some existed. point in there. Yes. Yeah. So like the assistant director is talking about shooting on the Eiffel Tower and like like oh yeah all these things that we did are definitely illegal now you can't do them anymore because right. like people don't want people to fucking die on the Eiffel Tower or whatever like running yeah. up and down the stairs yeah. like using the weird lift that like the open like on top of the lift instead of in the lift on top of yeah on top of the elevator uh walking you know obviously camera tricks involved here and and you know long long lenses uh but even making it look like they're walking right on the yeah, edge yeah i mean it's it, and of, they do a good enough job that it is fucking terrifying you're like jesus i hope nobody almost fell yeah, and died during right. this film yeah um yeah and then he also talks about filming in the streets and how the bulk of the traffic stuff was done on a closed course even sometimes even in which a itself city. is insane because that's that there were like a hundred cars. Yeah, I know. Least, yeah. Right? Well, I suspect <laughs> if you went and looked really closely, you would find a similar situation as the extras, where they're all the same car over and over and yeah. over again. But yeah, like they oh, even right. had to go to Probably. a different city, like some other town that was like because just like we couldn't do that scene in Paris, they just wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Whereas there's some stuff where you know, particularly when they're driving around with just the chassis, where uh, where it obviously is in Paris. Yeah. Right? They 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 no, yeah. They said like they were actually like it was like oh yeah they, they, the city was quite accommodating for like letting us just shut down a street and drive the wrong way on it for a little while and stuff. It's like okay yeah. interesting during during rush hour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I just found that that that's that one was interesting because it was very much digging into sort of not necessarily the technicality of it but like the idea of like this movie. We've talked a lot recently about movies being like a vision of the thing that they are like the place they are at the time. And in some ways, yeah. this is for like '60s France, right? Like, or for '60s Paris, right? We visit visit a bunch of famous right. stuff. Like, we're far enough along where like fucking tourism is happening, right? Like, they, he's riding on a right. double, a weird, like, which I'm in love with that fucking right. weird ass double decker bus. That thing is so fucking weird looking. I love it so much. Um, because it looks like it looks like Homer Simpson's car. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so weird. The bubble on top. Yeah, and and, yeah. and the idea that like um, that like you're kind of getting a vision of like almost like well, this is like what at this point you're gonna take a tour. You're gonna go from somewhere else in Europe to visit, you know, Germany or visit France and Paris. I thought I started thinking about the German people in the in the in the scene, yes. but like, um, 
from somewhere else in Europe, and like the bridges. it's only the nineteen, it's like yeah. nineteen sixty, and already like oh yeah, like that the wheels of that machine have already kicked into high gear. Like people on tour buses are showing up at famous Paris locations, right, and and doing right. tourism stuff there, despite the fact that we're only like you know fifteen years on from like well most of these countries were at war with each other. Uh, right. It's just an inter- I don't know. Yeah. It's just an interesting vision of like how rapidly that the system altered the relationships between all of these groups and 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 their presence in Paris. Um, right. And 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 sort of how it's commercialized it in a way that like you know, tourism in Paris happened before that too, right? I mean, there's lots of famous books and movies about people going, "Oh, I want to see Paris before I die" and stuff, right? But like. Bearing in mind that, I like, want to see Paris before World War Three destroys all those old buildings that somehow survived. Yeah, World right, right. Well, what, what yes. I mean though is that, like, you know, prior to World War Two, par- tourism in Paris was a common thing among, but it, but it had a sort of class structure of being the sorts of people who could take holidays. Um, right. And we're now right. we're looking at like much closer to being like normies. <laughs> you know, your yeah. your middle class. Well, well because we also tours. we have the explosion of that middle class. Well, exactly, right? and and that it's just interesting because you sort of get a vision of like, okay, this is a movie that heavily features a sort of that class of people on holiday that didn't take holidays before. Right, it certainly didn't take holidays in fucking Paris before. Um, yeah, and that's that's definitely something playtime gets into. Right, seven yes, years later yeah. too. Right, yeah. Um. And sort but, of the yeah. things that were built uh, and exist to accommodate their existence, and and the way that like they interact with the city as a whole. It, it's it's not an important necessarily a super important element of the movie because Zazie is mostly about Zazie's interaction with a of, of a Paris that sort of doesn't necessarily know what it is yet. It's still sort of deciding. Right. But part of that is that whole tourism thing. It's like, oh, this is about to become a city that is almost entirely just focused on that. Uh. You know, right. the, literally the most popular tourism destination on Earth for, like, the last, like, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. And Zazie herself is appreciating Paris as a tourist, but she there's is. only one tourist attraction she actually wants to see. And it's the one she's not and allowed to see. the metro yeah. that she can't go, yeah, she can't go into because of the strike. That's actually another thing uh, Quineau brings up. Um, Why he couldn't feature the Metro in, the, the, in his movie, in his book? Yeah, that's yeah. So interesting. Was that he started writing this book in 1947, uh, and a kid's book about a kid on the Metro in Paris came out. A book that he says is like, well, a very good book too. Apparently, people really like yeah. that book. It's like, oh, well, I can't right. do that and anymore. He says, well, I can't, ri- I can't rip, can't rip off other people. Can only rip off myself, uh, which is something he frequently says in that in that interview, which is really great too. Uh, how how Zazie was just him not worrying about what other people thought and just actually having fun mm-hmm. in writing a book. Um, well, and that, and the, his interview is, is interesting. His interview becomes very, actually a lot of the interviews that surround this movie are quite interesting because it, it is a lot of like a media system that seems to be designed to take things extremely seriously, trying to engage with what is announced yes. to a cartoon. Yes, right. Um, like right. including interviews of uh, Cano, like they're like, they're like, were were yeah. you thinking about this thing? Did you care about this? Thing? He's like, no, I didn't. You know, he's just constantly yeah. having to sort no. of have an argument with them, even in his. And his is the like the easiest of those. But even his is like, no, yeah. I was not. That's not. I do. Do you think of your book as like you know? I, I forget exactly, but there's a bunch of things about like. Yeah. Do you consider your book a comedy? And it's like, well, not not necessarily. And, and you know, 
Yeah. And certainly my favorite mm. my favorite example of that because that is that is a thread that is through yeah all many the of these all interviews. the interviews are like that basically uh, not, all, except all of for the ones the one, from the time period particularly. except for the one where they take the ad around Paris because that is later right and is not engaged with yes. the movie like that years and years later right uh, but the the one that is Louis Malle being interviewed uh, the guy interviewing him hits a point where all he wants to talk about is the chaplain connection. And Molly keeps keeps very politely answering his question and, and then, then steering it back to, to what he wants to talk movie. about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's like <laughs> yeah. at one point, like I, I, I've got I over the years I've become very sensitive about interviewers who do this, where they go on like yeah. where like to my mind as an interviewer, you should never say them more than about three sentences before you get to the fucking question that you're here to ask. And that <laughs> right, interviewer right. goes on a fucking like two paragraph paragraph long like rant of his own. And then Molly's got to be like, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting point. So now back to the thing I was talking about. <laughs> uh, yes, it's yes, it's yes. very funny. And, and like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of like weird judgment sort of stuff happening in some of this stuff, right? Like, because like the interview with um, uh, what's uh, Catherine is like very yeah. like, did this movie make you into a bad girl? And I'm like, fuck he's off, asking, dude. Like, asking, what the fuck, man? Yeah, he's asking. He's asking all of these incredibly leading questions, which, admittedly, if you're interviewing a child, you sort of well, have le- to ask le- leading, leading is questions fine with to get a child. them to talk. But like, but, he's leading yeah. her to like sort of trying to get her to admit that like this movie made her into like a bad kid, and it's like, okay, yeah. do you like? Yeah. We don't automatically assume that actors who play a bad character are bad people. Now, right. unless they've decided to go method acting on it. Which some of the worst right, actors right, on earth right. do as a sort of as a fucking yeah. like excuse to act like an asshole for a while, uh, but like yeah. there's no reason to you... assume that an that a young actor is like made bad by the role that they played. It's so yeah. weird. And then he tries to do the same thing to her parents. Yeah, and her parents are like, right? "Hey, yeah, but you go fuck but... yourself." <laughs> Basically, yeah. like no, <laughs> we don't think it made our child it, bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're very polite about it. We but... don't think it was. We we don't think that it was indicative of us being terrible parents to let our little girl play uh, a verbally like what the mom says uh, is you know Zazie is is verbally coarse not coarse in action so we didn't really we didn't really feel like it would be something that right. she picked up on right. um, and repeated and then he turns and asks the dad the same question he's like I, I disagree with my wife yeah I I, uh, I agree with my wife it's fine um, well and then like yeah. It's like yeah, the the interviewer's clearly trying to make some point. Like I felt, I I was like yeah. the closest in any French interview type thing that I've ever seen to like fucking like Fox News or some shit. I'm like, what? Like yeah. you have yeah, a real you have gotcha. an axe to grind here. You need to cool it, okay? Yeah. And the parents eventually, and the mom's like, well, I mean, yeah, maybe she learned a few words before her time. And then the dad's like, yeah, I mean, like basically the dad's just like, they're, they're just words or whatever. Her vocabulary right. is bigger right. now. So it doesn't mean she's going to yes, start fucking is, saying them all over town. Right. But you right, can tell that really Catherine got annoyed with him because at the very end, she's like, oh, she yeah. said at the very end, she said something. I forget. Like, yeah. Oh, what, you know, what did the, he's like, what did the parents say? And like, yeah, yeah, kind of like you yeah. or something to that effect. It's like, yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> the interview he, ends. He's, basically. he's trying to get her to agree, uh, to, to say a, a character that she likes other than, because you know, most she's she's been a shy little girl. She said, "I don't know." You know, I. Uh, I mean, whatever. she answered some of his um, questions thoroughly, but the problem yeah. is, is that I think to a certain extent, he's picked the topic he wants to talk about. 
She would like, I think, yeah. to talk about Zazie as a character. She seems to like the character she played. Oh, yeah. And the problem is, is he's not interested in that. He's interested in right. this in proving to some audience that like this movie is bad for kids or some shit. It's very yeah. weird. Now, now according to the Criterion essay, uh, there was a problem in 1960 of people assuming this was a children's movie. I could see that. I mean, it's got a little girl uh, on the cover and on the poster and stuff. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. But here's the thing: is that like we? I'm always hesitant to like be very judgmental about that's like i don't think this movie would be bad for kids either no like it is essentially a cartoon yes she says bad words but she doesn't like curse people out she just speaks more frankly than is considered appropriate for a child in 1960 you know what i mean right like when you really consider in the sort of broad context of how language sort of adapts and changes like it it seems a very prudish thing to like look at this movie to to even to us now to be like to look at this movie and be like ah yes this is we we've we've ruined our children you know I mean yes I can understand why you'd be like oh this I thought this was a kids movie it's not um but like if you took your kid to this I'm trying to put myself in the, like considering the world 1960. You have to still be kind of a prudish asshole to like take your kid to this and be like, "That's not what I expected." That was not, right, you know, right, like right, it's right. not. I mean, like, well, I don't nothing know. really like by, fucked up happens cer- or anything. Certainly by 1968, but France, France in the 60s is very much a country in transition. I understand that, yeah. and most of the art we see from that time is embracing the change. Right, is is is, is, is engaged with the transition rather than, like, being the thing that yeah. it's fighting against. And I understand that. I Tati is poking fun at the transition without being conservative necessarily about, or at least reactionary, too. He's, uh, Tati is perhaps conservatory, but I, I, conservative, I think, but I think you would. I would classify to Tati as conservative, but, like, not in an, aggre- like yeah. an angry or aggressive way, more of a, like... Right, 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 right. Isn't it funny what this country's become kind of thing? Right. Uh, so I think there's probably a good chunk of, of normal people in France who would be offended by this movie in 1960. Maybe, yeah. I, it's... Um, you've got to remember, this is... It's, I, don't, I don't understand going to this movie and having absolutely zero context about it, but I've never understood that about people's reactions to movies that they assume are kids' movies. Yeah, and they, they walk the in the book was like, super what? popular. In, yeah, the book was super popular in 1959. So you you should have known what the book was. Right, yeah, you should have at least like and, heard a newspaper article or something about the fucking book, right? And this is Molly's third movie, and he's already made The Lovers, a movie that is banned around the world for having explicit nudity in it. Right. And and uh, you know, you know, you know, um Elevator of the Gallows considering the material like the what it's about. <laughs> right. It's right. Not necessarily, also not a kid's movie. Certainly not a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like going it'd be like going yeah. to see like a fucking I mean it's not like I'm trying to think of a good like middle of the road director who mostly makes films for adults. You know what I mean? Like that like and being like, Well, yeah. I thought this was a kid's movie. They didn't hire the person who made I fuck I can't think of a good example because now I've got Kubrick on the brain. I'm like well, certainly not eyes wide <laughs> shut or some dumb shit. Like you know, uh, I you know, I, I I can't think of a good example, but um, you know, it, there's plenty of directors who like clearly make movies for adults, and like yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. People do stuff, uh, but yeah, it, it I, I don't know. I I I I have 
basically as a person, zero sympathy for those parents, no matter what, what time they exist in. Because, like, kind of my feeling is still, I guess maybe I still in my mind embody the feeling of, like, the the kids who get roped into that. And it's like my, my reaction is always, ah, fuck off. Like, like, go fuck yourself. Like, do a little bit of research about the movie you're going to take your kids to, eh? Like, fucking, like, read a newspaper review or something, you know? Like, those exist in 1960. Yeah. You could just find out what the movie's about before you take your kids. No. Yeah. I know. I feel like... I think that's probably... I think it's... I think it's... Uh, it's like going to South Park. It's like it's like a bunch of people who had no context of what the South Park television show was, who saw it was a cartoon movie. So... Let's take the kids to that, even though it's got an R rating on it. Yeah, uh, it's just it, it feels like almost being purposely yeah, and, obtuse about things to like be angry. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. Yeah, and it kind of feels like that one and interview with Zazie like is is in like in con- discussion with that element of society. You know, it's like we've all decided that this movie is bad for kids, so we're going to interview the the yeah. lead kid and find out how fucked up it made her. Now she's a right. monster person who's going to like, I don't know, like, I, I, I don't know. It's just like that, that interview just made me so angry, like, like not angry yeah. enough to like stop watching. But I was like, the, I spent the whole time going, are you fucking kidding me? What is this? So I guess as a contextual piece for the movie, it's interesting because it kind of gives you that frame of reference of like, oh, there's a whole quadrant of society that's decided this movie is like bad for children, like is is actively like hindering the morality of the youth. Who was it in one of the interviews that talked about like morality and like um ah, fuck which interview was that? There was one interview that like got into the idea of like oh right was it the interview with Quano or somebody that where they're like I think Quano talked about that might have been Rapino I don't know on one of them one of them yeah. one of them was like do you think that this move like it was something akin to like oh yeah the simple people who like don't have good morals and like good like culture or whatever i was like man this guy couldn't be more fucking elitist if he tried i think about yeah. been rapping oh, i've i've lost track of whose interview contained what materials but there was like one where it was on a stage it was clearly like produced for tv or something like that and basically the entire uh-huh. it might have been cano a second one with was there two with cano there were two with it was cano. the second one, one, with one he's talking on the stage. One he's talking particularly about the book. Another one he's uh, being asked about comics and comedy. Yeah, and so the, it, was uh, this, it was the one with Cano where he's on stage. He's like, it's clearly a TV interview yeah. or something. And they're yeah. basically like, the, the 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 interviewers like trying to get him to like basically talk about how stupid the like the norm like the like how morally like bankrupt and like un uh like uncultured the, the like the normal people are the simple people it's very like yeah oh man like fucking fuck you dude like it's just so it's like I, there's a weird amount of judgmental bullshit surrounding this movie that i don't feel like we've necessarily yeah. encountered this quantity of in other movies like the extra materials of the movies about the six in the 60s that we've encountered maybe it's early enough yeah and i think you know what I mean? It might be early enough in the 60s where, like, n- uh, so few people necessarily have maybe embraced that change, especially among older, like, more, like, older, like, adults that, like, we're seeing right. that sort we of resistance movement against, like, the change in culture or something. 
Yeah, we also haven't dealt a lot with films where even the coming of age films we've watched aren't aren't ones where the main characters need to be interviewed about you know the main actors need and actresses need to be interviewed about how bad their characters were yeah i think that's mostly um, because it's a kid i think they somebody like at at the essential the equivalent of fox news was like well this this thing the bad person's a kid in this one so we need to like when right. there were okay. That being said, four hundred blows. They definitely did interview um, the actor. Oh yeah, and like yeah. we're kind of get a little bit like this, but I think maybe because at the time, to a certain extent, mainstream media in France was not as engaged with sort of the change in culture. You know, even though it's only a couple years before, right? To like feel like they even need to interview him. In this sort of mainstream sort of yeah, way, or I something do feel like, that. like 400 blows, and maybe my uncle the dog. There was at least one other I can remember interviews with the child actor where where there were at least questions about uh, how did you feel about playing someone so naughty or something like right. that. Uh, but but it doesn't come up that often, and certainly it being a little girl, I think. I think gets a part of cultural it. baggage yeah. that makes this different yeah, too. I would say that's probably yeah. true. Um, well, and I also wonder if, like, to a certain extent, that line of attack loses any sort of like juice, or you know, nineteen sixty. That's still a, like you can you can do that. You know, you can like, but like at some point, people get tired out of those like various methods of attacking. Oh, yeah. And it's like okay, interviewing a child actor about how like shitty their character is at some point everybody's gonna be like well we kept making movies like that so at some point we just gotta like we can't ask every single one of them people yeah. the answer is always the fucking same uh it doesn't have much impact I think, well, anymore by the time we get around to brulette's fat girl uh no one needs to interview the main little girl to say how do you feel about being in a Catherine brulette film right uh everybody already knows how everyone feels about being in a Catherine brulette film. right uh, yeah it's just eventually yeah, that no. idea just they don't. loses the juice it just becomes a thing that's like not worth even yeah. no audiences just don't care anymore to think about that and that's like yeah i think good, i good think also the, riddance, but. the more moralistic elements in news media just don't have don't have an audience that wants them to engage with questions like this. They can they can make broad condemnations of Hollywood, and like they can the still make the argument that it's without, teaching our kids a bad thing. It's yeah. just like the actor yeah. is like I think, but they a, don't need to talk about someone particular. And I think to a certain yeah. extent, it might be a general acceptance by even like the entire, even by like later in the '60s, by the entire um, kind of public. They're like the actor in the movie is just an actor in the movie. Like they're not like they don't embody right. that per. Like we kind of do loop around because eventually we do get back to method acting and we find out that some certain actors are acting like their character outside of fucking the movie. But like the idea that like somehow you're the actor is being impacted by the character they're being they're meant to play as in like some oh you played the naughty girl so now you're a naughty girl like is is just already maybe it. Within five years, may already be just a deadline of reasoning for even like standard audiences. Uh, you're not gonna like. Well, I don't know though. Remember, in American in American Beauty, Thora Birch was of age but playing an underage character, and there was a lot of 
No, I mean, I think uh, I think when when you get into certain like touchstone topics that are like yeah. aggressively a part of like sort of the mainstream consciousness of like the things that are like no go zones, then I think it does come back up. But I think it becomes a specific case thing. Like anything that involves incest or something like that will still like that button will still get pressed. Like anything that involves underage kids in sexual situations will still get. I think those buttons will still get pressed, but the idea that just playing a bad kid will like make you into that that seems I think probably gets quaint even for like by the middle to end of the sixties for French audiences that becomes a quaint notion that's silly to even talk about, um, right? Uh, but again, as but but also bearing in mind that America and Japan and uh, France are different places, um, and America holds on to some of that stuff a little bit harder than than seemingly French media does with regards to like art, right? Like but even then, like those but there's certain buttons you press and like it's going to activate like that that whole system is going to activate because it's going to be like, well, wait a minute, you you put this young person in this situation that's fucked up, right? Is what they're essentially going to come from. Um right. And, and usually it doesn't focus on the actor or the actress themselves as much as it focuses on the director making seemingly like bad bad choices or making like compromising choices, putting somebody into a position they shouldn't be put in or something. I don't know though. Uh, it's hard to remember the '90s and early 2000s outrage machine. It, it's been too many years of like that machine continuing to take over to remember. The Halcyon days right, of what right. it was like in like 1999. <laughs> I'm confusing the characters in okay. American Beauty is what's happening, and it was Menasuvari's character is is the one who's the object of Kevin Spacey's character's affection, um, and is portrayed as underage but being played by a 20 year old actress. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah, there was definitely a big explosion in the moral question of whether or not this was a thing that should be allowed, but I still don't. I mean, by that point, Suvari, she's 19 or 20. She's being approached as an adult actress to pretend to do something speaking. for the purpose of a movie. Yeah. And yeah. And the thing about it right. is, is that like, I, again, I don't remember American beauty very well, but like Kevin Spacey does not, is not meant to play a good guy in that movie. No, <laughs> like, no. like no. it's not like it's like, Oh yeah, this is normal and good. But like even if it even even if the movie were again, it's an adult playing a character, right? Like it's I don't know. It's right. but again, that's like that's the machine. The machine will like activate in certain conditions, but like the kid who played Dennis the Menace didn't get interviewed continuously like in the in the nineties, <laughs> Dennis yeah, the Menace really to be what, interviewed about like that's the that's, level we're at here. Uh, that is the level we're at here. No, that's a that's an apt description. Because yeah. I don't, I don't, there was no moral outrage uh, around Dennis the Menace with interviews of uh, Mason Gamble is his name. Is that okay? I'm glad uh, you looked Asking up. him, asking whether or not uh, playing Dennis the Menace made him a worse human being. Right. Well, that, uh, and that's the thing. It's like, as, as my guess is, we're just early enough in those sort of cycles. It's early enough, early enough days for like, new cinema like kind of a newer cinema where it would have a kid acting bad and like it's trying to you know kind of be breaking new ground and stuff that like that whatever sort of outrage machine exists for like a sort of conservative ideologies could like latch onto that still 
and have people actually maybe care. Whereas I probably didn't right. take very long for that to just not be a thing that anybody gave a shit about anymore. You know? Uh, yeah. Because, like, bear in mind, like, I think I, the sexualization of minors in film is a thing that is still a button that can will get people outraged. It will it will absolutely. Right. Whereas she's not being sexualized in this except for by a creep that everybody recognizes in the movie as a fucking creep. Right. And like and, and the movie, and the is, movie not is in no way is doing that at all. It is exclusively right. the now, character. Of course, uh within pop culture whether or not within the media uh, the the like uh commentary media of the time Sue Leon's in in uh Lolita and and the person who played uh, the actress who played Lolita in the, in the later adaptation with uh, with uh, Jeremy Irons, um, I think they do get condemned. No, I, I think I think so. I think the problem we run into with those is that like I think media in general sort of decided what that book and that movie are about. It's like the classic like yeah, without maybe not necessarily knowing anything about it. And and yeah. I think you're right. Well, that, again, it really sort of seems the, the the line that seems to exist is whether or not it's sexualization or not. Right. And whether the movie itself is, is seen to be sexualizing them or not, right? Um, and, like, I've, I've never seen the movie, either of them. I've never read the book. Yeah. But my interpretation from the outside is that, like, it does certainly seem like the movies do sexualize the characters. Is my impre- it's always been oh, my yeah, impression. Absolutely. It doesn't actually seem like the book does necessarily in the same way, other than it's from the perspective of the person who is clearly fucked up and and is doing that. Right. Uh, any any film that portrays a teenage girl seducing an adult male, uh, particularly any film where an actual teenage girl plays that teenage right. girl, uh, or a preteen girl seducing an adult male, uh the child has met it is the child cannot consent yeah i mean there's so there's a right? there's a there's a line of reasoning within in, in within the context media. of yeah within the context of the story within the context of those stories as they play out in real life the child cannot consent but also a child doesn't decide to play this part a child is pressured into making it yeah i mean it is cast and brought by in. forces outside yeah. of themselves yeah. And then, and then you know, and, depending on the situation, it's not necessarily a dangerous situation for the child or anything like that. If you start to consider like the fact that like, yeah. well, we're making a movie. More often than not, these movies are about those sort of predilections of this of society. The society, in many ways, produces those these weird predilections that people have and stuff. By you know, and right. and a lot of times those kind of stories are about that. And that aren't necessarily dangerous for anybody involved necessarily, um, but right. also like it doesn't seem like a lot of times the media outrage machine is necessarily concerned about whether or not it was dangerous for that child. It's more right. like never the media machine seems to be mostly worried. I don't know. It's okay. like it's like worrying that like the hormones that they put in cow milk or something is making everybody grow breasts too early or something right. like that. Right. It's like right. it's kind yes. of a like an insane predilection among among a certain kind of person, um, right. Whether, whether or not you and I consider Lolita, uh, the film adaptations or the book even as uh, as art that should exist is irrelevant to this conversation. Yeah. Uh, the concern 
in any because those are they're still just fictional stories, right? right. Um, and that's one thing Loftus's uh, uh, podcast can get into is whether or not uh, Sue Leon's was exploited in in making the movie. Um, I think stories like this can be told uh, as long as the safety of the child performing. Well, and that's that's the issue. That uh, mostly comes down in mind. that mostly comes down to like how much power do directors have I think, to exploit and right. like take advantage of systems yeah. and stuff like that. Absolutely. Having better safeguards think, in place is always a good thing. Right. I think we have already seen examples of films where those child uh, children were not safe. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yes. We've talked about numerous films yeah. where that has happened essentially thus far. Um yeah. Uh yeah. No. I don't I don't think there's ever any good excuse to actually show a child performing a sexual act or being implied no, to perform I... a sexual act in a movie. Uh you can you can imply that a sexual act has happened without <laughs> without those things being uh even fainted at on screen. Um So yeah, and we've talked about that in the past. I'm I'm 100% certain of. Um, yeah, we've had, we've had this uh, conversation maybe, before. Sure. Maybe something around the Tin Drum or uh, any number of, of other movies that have come up over the years. Uh, but, you know, it's also not a conversation we necessarily have to have with Zazie. It is a conversation I get the feeling we might have to have with Black Moon. It seems like yeah, maybe Black Moon. I don't know a lot about yeah, Black Moon. I don't Moon either, yet. but it does seem like uh, that might be the case uh, next week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zazie, thankfully, is not that. Um, though, Although I gotta admit, that, man, like when you start like reading them, even like sort of getting ready to watch the movie, the way the movie is sort of talked about broadly makes it feel like it's gonna be yeah. one of those movies. Like I don't know, it was kind of weird. I was kind of like bracing myself to be like, "Is this gonna get weird? This feels like this might get weird," and then it one hundred percent doesn't get weird. Yeah, um, I think I think it's because occasionally. Things like that are talked about in euphemism, right? Uh, yeah, in so, in uh, using using many of the same words, <laughs> like the criterion description of this movie: a brash and precocious ten year old comes to Paris for a whirlwind weekend with her rakish uncle. Yes, exactly. Uh, they he all and the sound viewer like get more than they bargained yes, for. It sounds like yeah. you, it's. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh no, because yeah. yeah, you're right. It's full of words that sound like euphemisms. Absolutely. I don't think anyone would describe Lolita as, as uh, Humber. Humber gets more than he reckoned for, uh, but right. <laughs> um, but but, but I, you know it, it does way, feel like it's and being I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was a little worried as well uh, in reading that description because I I felt like maybe it was uh, <laughs> it was. Now this movie, um, well, this movie is about a young child who sees the adult world as confused and dumb. Uh, it is a movie where the adult characters also, um, the good guys in the movie, uh, mess with gender norms, mm. uh, which I found interesting. Um, obviously, uh, Uncle Gabriel is uh, a drag performer, uh, which is nothing to be ashamed of in this film, uh, even as sometimes... Uh, the bad guy implies that maybe it is something he should be a same shame. Well, and he's the only one, uh, but also right? like the, like throughout yeah, the movie, he's right. literally the only one who says anything <laughs> negative about what Gabriel does as a job. 
Like it's really it's right. it's actually quite fascinating because it it starts to push um, Zazia down a line of questioning that like eventually gets dealt with, but it's sort of like oh like he it sort of creates a, the opposite of what we've been talking about where this the the bad guy of the movie sort of makes implications like that that like in, that like I don't know how to explain yeah. like there's implies that he's doing something bad and then that pushes Zazie right. down a question of like is my uncle doing something bad which eventually has to be corrected right. by all the other adults in the in in no, he's actually just the best dancer in Paris. Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's really like, that, yeah, no, apparently. it's it's really yeah. fascinating because it's like, oh, it, it sort of is talking yeah. about, in many ways, it's sort of engaged with the thing that the rest of the, that the things that are made, sort of engaged with what's going to happen after the movie gets released, as far as the sort of outrage right. media is going to be about, like, yeah. this idea of, it's like, you are the one creating this thing that is making this a problem. Yeah. It's also then interesting back backtracking to the book uh, that uh, the family member that Zazie's mother drops him her off with as as the protector to all of her worries about what might happen is the drag dancer, right? Um, I will say in the movie, I did assume when the landlord, the bar owner, uh, walks in with the parrot right after Zazia has arrived and mm-hmm. complains about her being there, I thought we were getting a birdcage situation and that he would be revealed to be Gabrielle's husband and Albertine would just be a beard, a cover to make Zazie not re- not know that they're gay. Um, that is not what happened, obviously. There's, there's uh, one line is... that I found confused. There's one that like sort yeah. of still hints back at that sort of inclination, but I don't think it's the case, okay? Is when mm-hmm. he shows up, when Gabriel shows up at the cabaret, and is like, mm-hmm. "Oh, my wife needs to bring me a dress, bring my dress." He, the yeah. the piano player says, "Wife, that's a new one." Oh. But I'm like, "What does that mean?" Because <laughs> yeah, that, because know. that has an implication that like, "Oh, you don't have a wife." But it's like, but the rest of the movie clearly tells well, me that Albertine is in fact her, her is uh, is in fact his wife. Yes. There is that throwaway line, but also remember the other way this movie plays with gender is that after Albertine uh, leaves, from the moment she rescues them to her dropping Zazie off with mom back at the train station, she is dressed in traditional male clothing. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. That's scootering true. Outfit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she is also. But she also dresses up in it to, further, right? Because when she scooters over to right. drop off the dress, she's still in what one might consider like feminine dress right. with like like the the clear rain suits that were popular for some reason in yes, that time period yes, yes, that yes, are very yes, much yes, a yes, woman's yes. thing in most movies we've seen not a man's right. thing and then she dresses up like a motorcycle rider to go home and she's putting on like a leather jacket right. she's got gloves on she's got yes uh yeah, yeah. you're right and i believe she's referred to with male pronouns oh, yeah, by maybe, yeah. uh by the mom in the final in the final exchange um, and that's that's part of part of the book too. That character is referred to as a male, but implied to be Albertine in the book. Oh, okay. From what I've read about it, um, it does seem yeah. like it so might that, be an interesting sort book of, to read. Frankly, like it does, it did, it yeah. did intrigue me when I was, yeah, listening. To from stuff. what I've read, the book is principally 
beyond everything else it's doing, it is principally an exercise in French wordplay. Right. So, so the translation so might not that. be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. And and questioning questioning the state of French language. Um which, you know, is also something that needed to be done in an era where that needed to be done in every Western language about standards and the class inherency to uh, received pronunciation, whatever it gets called in every other language, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it is a very interesting read. I am also am sure that, like, watching this movie as native English speakers... Uh, me with very little French and you with none. Yes. Uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot you miss reading it in translation. So, uh, but yeah, it's a fun movie. Uh, usually, we don't get done with movies that uh, have a main character who's a pedophile by calling them fun movies. No, I but... mean <laughs> this one is this one is a fascinating. I don't know it. He. Molly did a really interesting thing here, and again, does not seem to track with any of the other Molly movies where ever, we ever saw, but uh, yeah, and seemingly will see. But like, I am, I am deeply fascinated because this, this is this is playful in a way that like we don't encounter very often in this podcast, and, and it was kind of a nice refresher that way. It's like, oh, this is, movie is just silly. Like, I mean, it's got a lot to say, yeah. but it is still just silly. It's still just enjoyable to watch i yeah i was fully prepared i did not let my children watch this movie on the grounds that like oh well french cinema 1960s Malay, right probably not for I, kids i and then i was like i, I could have had actually. it would have been fine well i would have had to read there, the fucking thing there would which right a lot of there would have been a lot that they enjoyed but you would have had to explain yes, a absolutely. lot to them yeah um and obviously you know we we as adults with adult fears Understand that this movie, and it outright states that uh, that that character is is uh, a child molester, right? right. Um, but one without that understanding uh, could watch this movie and just think he's a kidnapper, and that's enough. Yeah, well, right? that's the thing, right? It's like without without that under. I mean, like we read it that way, but yeah, you can, or even like. Just a like a creepy old dude leaves me alone. Like you know what I mean? Like that's almost all you need, right? right? Like it's like yeah. kids do understand on a ground level, well, this is a weird old man. I don't want to be around this person anymore. Yeah. He won't stop talking to me. Um I think this is a movie, and I did sort of half do this. I think this is a movie that would benefit from watching it twice just because from the little bit I noticed, there's seems to be always something going on in the background. Yeah, there's a lot of gags in the uh, background. Sometimes I catch them. <laughs> yeah. I think you're missing a lot of them. You, it's one of those movies yeah. where, like, certainly one of those um, sort of frame-by-frame frame analyses where you, like, start, like, breaking it down or you watch the same scene a couple times. Just because it's, it's sort of got a magic trick sort of element to it where you're, like, the foreground takes your attention, but there's stuff happening in the background all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in the essay, it's mentioned that Molly complained that particularly during the oyster eating scene, he thought the background stuff was something the audience would lose it for. So I went back and watched and there's stuff going on throughout it. But the main the main bit of comedy is that uh, once she starts uh, eating in a way that is getting oyster juice all over uh, uh, Triscallion or whatever his name is. 
um, the same crowd of people yes. gathers yeah, outside they do. the window. I, I, and that happens is, more than Which one. is hard not to notice. Yeah, but, that yeah. does happen. More, they, like, they, they tend to... Anytime Molly wants to convey the idea that, like, like people are watching, I don't know how to say it. Like, not as like people are watching, but like this is worthy of attention or something like that. The same people, yeah. the same group of people, tend to start peering over shoulders and stuff because it does happen multiple times. And and again, like Molly, one of the things that makes it very cartoon esque is that like that there's no need for spatial reasoning in that in that sense. It's like well, where were they? Doesn't matter. They're here now. Right. It's all that matters that they're here now. Right. Yeah. Like, we're totally different part right. of Paris. Doesn't fucking matter. They're here now. Um, yeah. And obviously, even beyond going around the corner and being in a separate space, even the the drive from the train station to the apartment where they keep passing the same building, and it's literally it's like every time the camera cuts, it's in the background. So they're, they're not only just driving in circles, but they're driving left and right. Uh, you know, between yes, tanks, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's always it's always behind them. Well, and that, and that so, way, it's it, it it is a it is a that one is a strange nod to cartoons in the sense that, like, yes, we drew one fucking background for this entire episode, and it's going to be in the background no matter what happens to a certain extent, right? It's like, oh, it's the same background all the time. Uh, we don't. There's no space. We just everything happens here. Well, I think we can probably pull this yeah. one to a close. It's been a fun conversation. It's a pretty fun movie. Uh, like I said, uh, probably worth watching again, uh, just to just to see all the stuff we've missed. And obviously, even watching it one more time, we're not going. <laughs> this is this is a movie where we could spend the rest of our lives studying and still probably not get every yeah, joke absolutely. that's in it. Yeah, for sure. Um, plus, because ultimately, some of these jokes are probably just surreal. Uh, Non sequitur. Yeah, I mean, some of them that, are just like uh, weird nonsense to just mess with your. Somebody decided to throw in. Yeah, yeah. Somebody thought something yeah. would be funny so, and just did it. So yeah, no, uh, no amount of study is going to explain those ones. Next week we get another Molly film from 15 years later, Black Moon, uh, which is described by Wikipedia as an experimental fantasy horror. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. This uh, is. A- I will remind you the last time the last time we watched an experimental fantasy horror. Uh, was House and it was amazing. Well, House is a fucking amazing movie. I this one I've started reading the plot synopsis. This one sounds real fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is going to be Molly's house, but maybe maybe in some sort of esoteric way it is Molly's house. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always Lead on Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Overtari Dorgan, and we'll see you next week for another Molly with Black Moon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts Lee Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at? How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. 
check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. It's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>